So welcome to episode five of the Insight Podcast. Uh, Jamie, we've made it through the first year. Um, I know you and I have kind of been on a long journey together. Uh, we went to, through the CTO program many years ago, it seems. Um, and, and we mm-hmm. talked about doing this podcast. How do, you, how do you think the last year went? I love that this has been on our mind for a while that we wanted to do this and that it was the pandemic that it was like, there's no better time. Let's commit, let's get this done. And, and here we are, episode five. It's, it's amazing. That seems like a common theme in education that it only took a pandemic to get this started yes, for us. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. in today's episode, uh, again, this is the first episode of 2021. Um, we're going to be t- chatting with Nick and Barrett from the Capital Advisors Group. The Capital Advisors Group works closely with Site in support of our advocacy efforts and educating our members on what's coming down from the state legislature. So one of the key takeaways you're going to hear in this episode is really the importance of how you, as a member of SITE, can engage with your local representatives to really share your stories and highlight your data on behalf of the students and families that you serve. We learned that there is no better way to make sure you're making an impact than by having your story as part of that. All right, let's get started. Welcome to Insight Podcast. In this episode, we have Nick Romley and Barrett Snyder from Capital Advisors Group. Today, we are going to talk about what IT and ed tech professionals need to know about the law and legislative world in relation to our work. My name is Shane Pinnell, and co-moderating with me is Jamie Lusatter. Hey, everyone. Welcome to today's episode. What we like to do to open up is play a little game. Um, I do this in you know interviews in my tech department, any way to just to get to know somebody. And so what we're going to do is I'll say a topic, and then each of, us, each of us will answer. So here's the first one. Are you a cat person or a dog person? Uh, Nick, why don't you start? Oh, I am a dog person through and through. Barrett, about what you, about Barrett? you? I, I don't have either one right now, so I guess I'm equally both. I'd be, I mean, equal opportunity animal lover, so, um, but probably dog. Jamie, what about you? Um, I love dogs, grew up with cats, but I currently have a bird, so oh, that's where I am. Yeah, African gray parrot. All right. Very cool. That's a lifelong, uh, mm-hmm. that's a lifelong pet there. Uh, dog person, definitely. That's great. Uh, what about waffles or pancakes? Barrett? Mm, my four-year-old loves pancakes, so I guess I'm into pancakes too right now. What about you, Nick? Oh, this is actually harder, much harder than the cat or dog for me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think I'd have to go pancakes on this one, especially banana pancakes. Those are, those are, those are delicious, so I'll go with that. I'm just going to say yes, please. <laughs> That's where I am. Yeah. yeah. And then finally, uh, PlayStation or Xbox, Nick? So I'll go off off the board on this one. I actually have never really owned either, but I am a PC gamer, which helps actually, ironically enough, in our work with Sight. So it's uh, I kind of know the tech world as things are happening. So, so yeah, PC for me. That's great. Interesting. I, uh, my brother used to, was a programmer at Xbox for years and he would kill me, but he's no longer there. So I can now say with, without conflict, PlayStation is for me. So. Well, my, uh, my brother-in-law gave us an Xbox, so I'm going with the free Xbox option. Oh yeah. Free Xbox. For sure. Yes. <laughs> I've always been more on the PlayStation side, but currently, currently playing a switch. Ah, uh, Yes. Those are awesome too, yes. 
All right. So uh, we're happy to have both of you join us for our first episode of 2021. We'd love to start with learning about what Capital Advisors Group does and what's your role there. Nick, why don't you start us off? Sure. Yeah. So uh, yeah, and just want to say thanks for having us. We're both uh, happy to be here, excited to be part of the podcast. And um, so, you know, uh, Capital Advisors Group, we are a uh, lobbying firm. We work out of Sacramento. Um, we uh, have worked with a site and represented them up in Sacramento uh, with lawmakers and uh, various agencies up here in the state capital in California for uh, many years now. In fact, before they were site, back when they were SETPA even, we, we were working with them back then. So, um, you know, just, and I'm happy to let Barrett jump in too, but just day-to-day -day stuff, we, we um, kind of monitor legislation. Uh, we we track committee hearings. We we monitor the state budget. Uh, and I don't know, Barrett, do you want to jump in and add anything? Yeah, and I think we we do all those things, and then sort of serve as the eyes, ears, and mouthpiece for the association when it comes to public policy debates around funding. You know, right now we're working on a lot of issues related to the digital divide and access and uh, resource issues. So um, it's it's been a lot of fun, and and there's a lot of emerging topics around data security, you know, ransomware issues, um, and all of that, uh, particularly as, as COVID-19 has uh, ramped up and changed the conversation a little bit, shifted the ground under our feet some. So, so Barrett, how long, have you, uh, how long have you been with CAG and, and kind of what got you there? Sure. I'm actually one of the founding partners of the firm. We created it about, what, nine years ago now. Um, and uh, my partners are former state superintendent Jack O'Connell, Kevin Gordon, who's sort of known by folks, um, Abe Hajela and LeAngela Reed. And Nick's been with us. Nick, I think we've been working together for 10 years. I mean, Nick, Nick came with us. We were all at another firm prior, always doing education policy generally. Um, but we've all, we've all kind of been together for a long time. We're kind of like a mini family. And we founded this firm almost 10 years ago at this point. And, and, uh, and like our little niche here, working on behalf of schools and statewide associations and county offices of ed and school districts. So, yeah. Awesome. So, Nick, what kind of how did you land in uh, education policy as opposed to environmental policy or, or something like that? Sure. Yeah, I actually um, <clears throat> I was a student at UC Davis back when I was, uh, you know, 12 years ago or so. And uh, I ended up through some connections with my family. And, and as Barrett just mentioned, a prior firm we worked for, uh, ended up being an intern. Uh, and as I like to give them a hard time, an unpaid intern. Um, but uh, so, you know, but the experience uh, and the relationships I built with folks like Barrett and other people was invaluable. Uh, and the rest is history, as I like to say. It ended up working out where they kept me. And then, as Barrett just mentioned, when we transitioned to our current firm, Capital Advisors Group, they uh, thankfully took me with them. So, uh, and we, we even pay him now. So, yeah, it's, it's great. Ten years <laughs> later. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys. You mentioned a few kind of topics of interest right now. Are there current, very specific projects you um, both might be working on right now? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, as you can imagine, as we record this, uh, you know, in mid-January 2021, you know, trying to, trying to figure out the big conversation around reopening schools. And I'll tell mm -hmm. you, in a couple of days, you know, the governor had a proposal that came out over the holidays that seems to be evolving. The Biden administration has put out yesterday, at least leaking some of what they're going to propose in terms of stimulus dollars, largely driven mm -hmm. to open schools. And so that that is that is a lot of what we're working on, and and issues related to that around um, uh, devices and uh, connectivity, um, 
the, the equity issues that go along with um, everything we've seen and you guys have seen out in the field of how um, disparate that is amongst mm-hmm. individual students and families, also amongst districts, you know, regional, regionally. So all of that's kind of blurred together. I mean, so we're doing a lot of work, work on that and trying to, frankly, take to tell some stories out of the pandemic that really will highlight some of the issues around tech equity, particularly that we can, that we can push on behalf of the association. So that's some of what we're working on right now. That's excellent. Anything to add, Nick? No, I mean, I think, um, you know, as Bear just said, we're, uh, I think the pandemic has highlighted uh, the inequity and in device distribution and the internet access that students have all across the state. Uh, I think one thing that's really highlighted in one of the projects we're working on um, is, is dispelling the myth that it's just rural regions of the state that have this issue. Uh, I, I think, you know, one of the things we're working with site and uh, on behalf of them, the Capitol is, is to kind of educate some members of the legislature on the fact that, you know, there are places in San Jose that, that students don't have access to internet that they might need to, to, to get a quality education uh, to the extent they can while distance learning. So I think that's one of the projects also at part and parcel of what Barrett was saying, just to add on to that. I think that's kind of one of the other things we're going to be working on this year. All right. Thanks. Uh, Often we open the show with a definition related to the work of our guests. Uh, Can you walk us through the process of how a bill becomes a law? Yeah. In California. Sure. (laughs) Nick, Nick, Nick actually has a whole song and dance that goes to schoolhouse rock, but no, Um, the, yeah. So, I mean, this, this process is, um, there's a, there's a, there's the legal process of, by which a bill becomes a law, you know, legislators, uh, we elect them, they introduce legislation. We have a bicameral legislature. So we have an assembly and a Senate, uh, here in, in the state. And, um, and the bill goes through a process, not unlike what you see at the U S U S Congress, right? There's, there are committee processes. You, you look at the policy questions in a bill, you look at the fiscal implications of a bill and then ultimately, the governor, being the chief executive of the of the state, gets to sign or veto that bill. Um, and then stakeholder groups, which is where we come in, where we're the quote lobbyists, right? Where we come in representing site and other organizations, and provide perspectives on those questions and in those debates. Um, and that, that that process, I think that process. What's funny is we work with various clients, and I think a lot of folks when they when they get it, it takes a long time. To get something done in the, in the legislature, uh, particularly if it's a big issue and it, it costs money, and you got to you got to convince you know majority or supermajority of eighty assembly members and you know forty state senators and a governor, and you've got to navigate all the you got to have the right policy arguments, you got to have the right fiscal dynamics on your side, and you got to have the right politics with with you on your issues, and so getting all those things to line up in, in the right way and you know get the stars to align. That can take a couple of years, and so um, it's a luckily it's a full time job for us, <laughs> and we uh, we do that a lot. So, do you guys have any involvement in the like the referenda process in California with propositions and, and such? No, I I um, I've, I worked on a statewide school bond uh, in a cul de sac of my career back in 2016, Proposition One D. I helped manage that um, under Gail Kaufman, who was a, a just an expert campaign consultant in the state of California. I was lucky to work under her. Um, but that's my, that's my only experience. Our firm doesn't get involved in referendums, um, or, or initiatives. At least haven't so far to the, other than, you know, supporting statewide school bond efforts and things like that. Um, but we, we've tend to stay away from those referendums are, are always tough. So. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. So thanks for helping us understand kind of what goes into the the process at the Capitol. That's awesome. Um, I think we're also really interested in as you touched on earlier, reactions and experiences from the past 10 months, what have been the most eye-opening or surprising things for you during the pandemic around law and educational technology? Sure, and Nick, jump in too. I mean, the thing that, that one thing that stuck out to me is the, um, the incredible impetus that COVID created for getting a device in the hand of every kid to the extent possible. I mean, we saw donations of devices all over the place that's ended up being a little bit of a headache in, in some places device management as, as many of your members will know um but what i think it, it showed was uh how in many places we weren't ready for that and how we weren't structured to make that work well but i also think that's an opportunity because we can now see what's needed to make that work well in the future and i think post covid there's going to be a lot of work done to restructure in the event that a pandemic were to, were to shut society down again. I think the lesson learned here is gonna be, we need to make sure we've got one-to-one -one for everybody, that we can turn that on quickly, that we can provide families with equitable access to an, uh, an education, no matter who their child is and what their needs are. And so that's been, that's been the most surprising and eye-opening thing is that actually the way that that happened in a lot of places and then going forward, how we're gonna learn from that to make it make it better in the future. And I'm, I'm, we're hearing that from legislators and legislative staff. Um, there's back the governor's proposal, some of the language in there indicates they're gonna, they're actually gonna restructure the way they account for average daily attendance, how we, you know, how we fund schools, you know, on a per kid basis um, with a lens towards the events where we have kids not in school, right? And so I think there's gonna be a complete rewrite of that. That includes independent study and distance learning laws. I think we're gonna do a whole rewrite on that. Hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, to add to that, I don't know necessarily if it was eye-opening for folks like us and folks at site, but, um, you know, I think one of the things we're going to be looking for, to Barrett's point about looking ahead, is uh, all these efforts right now, we're hearing a lot about um, getting broadband out to areas of the state that, that you know, have been uh, previously unserved uh, or underserved. And, and those efforts, while they're nice right now, you know, those help uh, in five years from now, right? So, so again, just to tack on to what Barrett was saying, uh, we're going to see uh, what I would think uh, at least proposals, whether they get through or not. You know, there's a lot of inter interesting entities involved in these discussions. Uh, we'll see a lot of proposals on, you know, whether it's loosening up restrictions for, for broadband projects in areas that maybe have been tough to get to or whatever it may be. I think we're going to see a lot of those coming down the pipe for uh, in terms of getting broadband to these previously unserved places. And those are proposals that are going to be happening, though, right now and in the next year or so to try to make sure, as Barrett said, we don't have this happen again. Right. If we had to flick on a distance learning model suddenly for, for these kids and, and folks, especially in disparate regions in the state, are they able to function under those under those parameters? So I think we're going to see some stuff like that coming down in the next year, maybe two to kind of kind of shield against this problem in the future. You touched on uh, one thing that I would think is a positive about getting devices out into the hands of students. Are there any other bright spots that you've seen as a result of this, maybe from more of a legislative point of view, not necessarily what's happening at school districts? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll jump in on that just quickly. I mean, I think one thing, uh, and through our work uh, with SITE uh, for 
you know, obviously we touched on the fact that the, the, the sheer kind of dearth of devices for some of these, some of these students has, has become apparent uh, to maybe some lawmakers that, that weren't aware before or, or, or were aware, but maybe not quite to the extent, you know, uh, as Barrett will tell you, there are upwards of 2,500 bills introduced every year. And as much as we would like them to be, not all lawmakers can know everything and they would admit that, right? So, so I think this has shown a light on some, some issues that they maybe previously uh, wouldn't have known. Uh, and in particular, one that we're probably going to be working on with site uh, is, is, you know, cybersecurity issues in schools. And, and, and this issue of not just students, but teachers, staff, other folks having to connect to the school systems remotely has shown a huge light on what was already kind of an issue of, of securing school sites. Uh, and, and I think having some conversations around how do you leverage state resources to maybe help address this issue and what role can the state play to help schools secure these systems? Uh, I think we're going to see that this, that this pandemic has shown a light on that for sure. Awesome. Thank you. Any, uh, anything to add there, Barrett? Um, maybe just the, the, the human, the human factor sort of across the spectrum. I mean, you, you know, any of us you know, kids, I think know, uh, and or have talked to others is that how much people appreciate their teachers now, right. Or that the, the folks that work with their kids and, um, you know, it's nothing like keeping your kids home for a, a year that will, <laughs> and trying to educate them, um, that I, you know, I don't, I'm not sure yet how that's going to, that's going to play out or be valued or what that means policy wise. But I, I actually think coming out of this, teachers are going to have, um, increased political support, if nothing else, uh, mm. just out in the community that, um, just, you know, that, that's, that was an, that's apparent. I mean, just talking to my neighbors and who have older kids, I have a four-year-old, but, um, those that have older kids that are in school and how many times they've said, God, I just appreciate those people so much more now. Um, uh, and that that's gonna that's gonna translate into public policy in, in some way. Hmm. So Nick, you touched on this a little bit earlier about the revelation that the digital divide isn't in regions that we typically thought it was, that it's more widespread. And I'm just wondering what is it that we should be thinking about or doing, or is there any way to kind of get that message out to help paint that picture a little bit more clearly? Yeah, um, you know, I think as as you know, and Barrett would echo, we we would always recommend you know talk to your local legislators, right? You know, and and have some stories about this is what we're seeing. Data is even better, right? If you can have a, like you know, we've heard of some um, LEAs and school districts uh, having maps, right? And just for those of LEA, local educational agency, for those who don't know, that's an acronym soup from up here in Sacramento, but uh, we, <laughs> mm-hmm. sorry, it's a common term we throw around. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, look, actual visual maps of here are the mm-hmm. holes here are like heat maps, right? If you mm-hmm. will, of, of where are holes, where are, where is service good? How can we expand that? You know, mm-hmm. things of that nature and getting those in front of, your local leaders, whether, you know, obviously we would say state elected officials because mm-hmm. they hold the purse strings up here in Sacramento along with the governor. But, um, you know, even local elected representatives, uh, local utility board, things like that, you know, get get this information in front of them. Uh, it, and, and it, because to our work up here, Barrett, I, I, you can jump in and add on, but I think a lot of members, uh, whether it's state or local, they don't know. They're not aware of where, and, and in fact, that was one of the biggest things 
the governor himself put out an executive order on looking at, at the broadband gaps in California. And one of the first things they realized was we're not really even sure where they are. And so mm-hmm. that's that's kind of a starting point. Talk to mm-hmm. your local folks and your state elected officials. And if you can bring data, but even just stories about you know, these, I'm sure you all saw there was the kids that had to go to a Taco Bell parking lot, right, for Wi-Fi because mm-hmm. they didn't have it at home. Uh, and, and, and and those are the kind of things that members of the legislature need to hear. Yeah, and I, I just add on to that and say that the Internet service providers have done a very good job during the pandemic with public relations to convince the public and in lawmakers and policymakers and senior staff here in Sacramento that they've, you know, discounted things or handed out hotspots or provided devices um, and I think a lot of folks, policymakers and the staff think that problem has largely been solved and that that when places where they're not, that it's the fault of the school district, that they just didn't do what they needed or they didn't. Why aren't you using those hotspots? Well, the hotspot, well, they don't have any service. They, they hand us a hotspot. It doesn't work here. So um, that is to me, some, that's actually something we're working on with site is to use the data that Nick mentioned, the maps to tell that story, to say, look, we get this, but there's a reason where they ran commercials on this stuff because they know this is a liability for them. We've got to really, if we we're, if we as a society are uh, really wanting to tackle this problem of, of ensuring that everybody's got access no matter where you are. Let's be real about where these holes are. And by the way, they're not just in rural small districts in California. They're in, they're in the largest counties in the state. Nick mentioned San Jose. I mean, the Santa Clara County Office of Ed has got a map of places that you just wouldn't believe where there are holes. Um, mm-hmm. not, not to mention just the adequacy of the broadband that you get in a household, right? Um, that that can be a function of, of, of finances for a family or the economics of it, but it also can just be a function of the, the network there that, you know, they, you know, family, you can't get enough up speed and you mm-hmm. got two parents and four kids trying to be on a Zoom and it just can't hold it. And it's not... Might might even be an issue if the family can afford it or not. It's just not available there. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot of storytelling I think to come mm-hmm. out of the, come out of the pandemic around that that we're hoping will translate into them getting real and working with folks to to, to plug those holes in some way. So. Yeah, Barrett, I'm I'm glad you brought up the cost of of internet access because in my district we have. Um, Internet access is available, but it's it's upwards of sixty dollars a month, and mm-hmm. for a lot of families, that's just not an accessible dollar amount for them. Uh, so I think one of the big challenges going forward is is how do we how do we correct that because it's 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 just un, unattainable for them at that price point. Yep. And also, just one last thing to jump in on this, uh, I I do want to say that in my work doing this over ten years now, uh, especially when it's you know, you go to a member and it's your member, you know, there's oftentimes this kind of myth that, you know, they're this elite up in Sacramento and they don't, you know, but, but members are responsive to their constituents, right? Like we will often look at, you know, okay, who's your, who's your member? How can we get you plugged in with them? And so, so going to your local elected official, even if they're at the state level, I mean, they, we bear can countless stories where we, you know, we plugged in, whether it's a superintendent at, at a school district and they just, all they wanted to do was get five or 10 minutes with a member and, and they're responsive. They, they do listen. So, so like, like you said, Jamie, and, and it, it's, it's, a, it's a good way to get the message out uh, and, and maybe more effective than some people think is all I'm saying. <laughs> I can say for us in my little, you know, tiny pocket of Los Angeles, we had really struggled with internet connection for our students and our families. And it was just quality. It was quality and it was the amount of upspeed. 
And we were hearing rumors from families who found a technician on the street and asked them what was going on. And one of our board members, very grateful, he connected me with the city council. We started a broadband subcommittee. So I meet monthly now with city council and I'm part of this committee um, with another large employer in our town. And we've been interviewing prospective competition because there is no competition in our town. I mean, if you do, if you don't go with the main provider, there's no other option. So I can say that, and we have produced a heat map and we did turn that over to the provider and they started construction. And, and so again, if you pull the right levers, it is totally possible um, to make some change. And it's not enough, of course, because we're still slightly oversubscribed in some areas and other places don't, just don't have access, but we're working on it. So it, it can be done. Nick, has there been any discussions about um, addressing those those kind of monopolies in areas um, at the state level for for local governments to be able to address those monopolies that are built in? Yeah, um, and this is a bit of a tougher one. Uh, you know, it, it's I think as we've talked about several times, whether with site or or you know just privately here on the podcast, you know, it, it's it they're very powerful entities in Sacramento. I'll put it that way. Uh, yeah. that, that kind of want to, I don't want to say keep it that way as a malicious thing, but that's in their interest. Right. And it's no secret. Um, you know, there have been some suggestions or proposals around ways you can maybe kind of mitigate that mm-hmm. one idea that was floated. Uh, and again, these are all proposals, nothing concrete, but maybe, you know, we require, um, utility providers to be providers of last resort things like that, making sure that these providers have to provide internet service to all households in an area they serve. Again, powerful entities in play that that, that may want to block something like that. Um, and so we'd have to see how that went. But that's just one idea. Um, and, and in a way, that would maybe incentivize folks to kind of split up those areas, right? Let's get more people than just the one in there, because otherwise I'm going to have to be the one who, who sends service all the way out there. So so, you know, things like that. Um, but, but yeah, there are some, some powerful entities at play in this one. So, Barrett, I don't know if you want to add on. Yeah, just to, it's, no, it's no secret. I mean, AT&T spends more money on lobbying in California than any other agency or any other organization. I mean, they are very powerful um, and they are they're very influential. And that's, that's just AT&T, not to mention Verizon and Comcast and everyone else, um, all big players, too. Um, so there's a political dynamic here that that can get that can be hard to overcome, um, and it's bipartisan. So they they you know they they go and 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 make friends in both parties. Um, so I you know I would I would say there's that. I would also just add there's probably an evolving conversation here. Um, you know I've done a lot of work. Um, we've represented counties like Humboldt County where you know you've got rural spots where you've got several mountain ranges in between. Places and you know, in 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 to throw a bone maybe to the ISPs, it's you know, it doesn't make a whole lot of financial sense to dig through mountainsides to connect fifty families. Um, we we get that, um, but I think that I think that conversation is evolving. If you look at what Elon Musk is doing with the Starlink network using satellite, high speed satellite internet, I think is what you know this is supposed to be. Um, you know, the technology may be moving in a way that the economics of connecting families in rural areas are going to change pretty substantially. Um, so I, you know, I don't know where this goes in the next couple of years, but I, I think there might be ways to solve these problems that aren't necessarily laying cables in the ground everywhere. So, so we're going to, that's just another element to this entire conversation. that I, I think we'll have to keep track of. I think that's a super good point. Cause what I discovered is being a part of these committees is now there are, there are these issues with building code 
that potential um, providers came in and couldn't get past. So it wasn't about a monopoly. It was about barriers at the very local level that our city council is committing to work through. Yeah, like where you can put an antenna, how high up on a water tower can you, right? Mm -hmm. All that kind of stuff. And neighborhood responses to new boxes coming in. There's a there's a lot of comp, you know complications to it versus just the monopoly side. Um, Nick, have there been any discussions about uh, what we can do through the LCAP to help fix some of these issues? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and as Barrett alluded to at the beginning, uh, there the governor just put out um, a school reopening proposal. We're at, at the time of this recording, you know, mid January. We're we're looking at that and and working through those those issues in that proposal, um, you know, to the extent we're hearing from, you know, leg- or, uh, educators and, and other and other folks around the state. But, you know, part of that proposal is, and it's just kind of a creaking the door open, right? That's the, and we look for those all the time in doing policy work, like a, a start of a conversation around something. Uh, you have to certify that all children that are gonna remain in distance learning have access to devices and, mm. and, and, and internet and the ability to do distance learning from home if you're going to accept this grant money. Uh, mm. And so that's kind of a signal. Maybe we start looking at, uh, if you want to call it a digital equity metric or something that, that you could build into an LCAP. Uh, and, and I've actually heard uh, some stories of some uh, LEAs, there's that acronym again, going or already kind of starting to look at doing stuff like that just on their own locally. But mm-hmm. putting in, you know, as we call it, maybe non-cash penalties in terms of how do you incentivize some, some school districts and, and other entities around the state uh, to, to maybe uh, make sure that these devices are getting and, and connectivity where they need to go. So, so those conversations are starting. And Barrett, I know you've been talking about this. So if you want to add on a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's one of these things where I, I'm sure administrators that are listening to this kind of roll their eyes like, oh, one more thing we've got to put in an LCAP. But I would say that for those of us that work in um, or pay attention to school IT issues, not having data is a real problem, right? We want to be able to tell the story and want to engage in a public policy debate around connectivity. Well, when you can't, when there's no data really to have that conversation with, it just becomes this abstract thing. So actually putting it in the in the NL cap, having it reported through CalPads and some data systems up to the state so that the state and legislators can ask the question and get an answer. Well, how, how many what are we, how are we on one-to-one in this state and where are, where are we not good and where are we good and what are the barriers? I mean, the data ends up becoming an entrance into that conversation. So I would say to the folks is like, I just don't want to put one more thing in an LCAP. It's, there's a purpose for it. And if we all think that moving the needle on um, resources for kids to have one-to-one, that might be sort of a necessary evil in that respect um, that we've got the data to have that conversation. So, um, so we are looking at that. So that is something site is looking at with policymakers this year is our potential changes to LCAPs in the future to help us collect that information and, and shine a light. And also, frankly, at the local level, would really force the board and the, and the leadership of the district to, sit, to say, answer that question, what are we doing here? Um, what if we hit another pandemic? I think it's in everyone's interest that we know where we stand to be able to quickly do you know, distance learning again, and we've got devices to make that happen. So it kind of all fits in that box, and uh, we're working on that in 2021 sure. So I think the, the next question I have for you guys is probably forefront. A lot of people's minds um, are a lot of tech directors and, and other people at LEA's minds. Um, what is going on with um, state assessments? You guys, sure. you guys, you guys have any, uh, any uh, behind the curtains uh, yeah. information for us that you can share? 
Yeah, it's a it's a rapidly evolving conversation. So as we record this, it might change by the time um, folks hear it. But but right now, I would say as you know, mid mid January, uh, state and federal law require we test, and it's really driven. The state law is really driven by the by this by the federal law. The Trump administration, which we're currently under until January twentieth, has indicated to states we are not going to let you not test this year. We we didn't test last year, but we need we're not going to go two years without data. So states have still got to test. So there isn't even really a waiver for the state to pursue under the current administration. The question is what happens on January 20th? Does the Biden administration uh, take, a, take a different perspective? And, and folks have speculated and, you know, and there are rumors running around, but we have not had a clear indication of what they're gonna do. They could leave it alone. I mean, there's a, on the equity side of the argument, there's a bunch of folks that say, hey, we ought to know, especially in a COVID environment with all these kids at home and what are the learning gaps unless we, have some data. We're just sort of speculating. So mm-hmm. really, from an equity perspective, we ought to we ought to test. On the other side, from from I think from a practical standpoint, from I think from many of the members of, of site and and administrators, that's a that's a real technical challenge to pull off a statewide assessment uh, in a distance environment. And so you've got sort of these this tug and uh, pull thing here going on. What, what the what the administration could do, they they're probably going to do something. I mean, they could they could leave it as is. And say we got to test. They could also say, "Hey, we want you to test, but we're going to waive all accountability, including the ninety-five percent um, requirement that you test ninety-five percent of your kids." Because remember, that's that that's a requirement. There. That's our biggest worry at the moment yeah. is that threshold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could waive all that and say, "But but we want to have some data. We want to have some information. So go ahead and collect it and um, and, and go from there." The other thing I think you do is just say, "We're not going to test," but they may do something like require some local assessment um, that, that, hey, okay, LEAs, we're not going to do this accountability testing f- for 2021, but we want you to do use some, you know, formative assessments to inform teaching and learning in your districts and that you're, you're measuring where kids are and that you're tailoring your instruction to meet their needs. Like something along those lines, um, I'd leave it to testing experts that um, out there to, to come up with that. But there's there's there are a couple of things the feds could do here that we're we're watching. But it's just it it's hard to say at this moment where where that's going to go. But there's there's a lot of conversation at the state and federal level about doing something. So. Awesome, thank you. Yeah, unfortunately, you didn't have the answer for me, but that's okay. I, I, under, I understand. <laughs> I feel like there's there's hope though. Maybe we get the yeah. word out or propose an alternative. I mean, I love the idea of local assessments. I think districts are fully capable of doing um, common assessments by grade level among sites, and that's yeah. a practice many people already have in place. Yeah, and, and like you, Jamie, we're concerned uh, hitting that ninety five percent metric, and then also just general concerns about the fidelity of testing in general. Um, mm-hmm. It's just I don't know how we pull that off. Um, yeah. I can personally say that our one-to-one deployment is a buy-your-own-device plan where we provide equity devices to anybody that needs that because we don't have the funding to go one-to-one in any capacity. So that was our solution. And it's been great for us until we got to the APs and the teachers giving tests on a lockdown browser. So it's very easy when you manage devices to push that out, but to not have that, we are helping kids all the time install it on their own computers. It's going to be the same experiences for for us for testing. We're going to have to try to figure out how to get an eight-year-old to get the lockdown browser on their Chromebook. Yeah. So we're, we're excited for that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I mean, we've, we've covered a lot of really important ground so far on the show today, and we're, we're heading towards the end. This, this topic 
and how we'd like to wrap up the show is really this call to action. And I think we've talked about this a little bit about, about how to get involved. And one kind of lens I wanted to put on this is um, in my specific role, I'm really grateful that as a member of site and somebody who's gone through the CTO mentorship program, I was actually able to leverage that program to get the new position as CTO. So I moved from director to CTO, which was great. Um, and with that, I mean, I've, I've come to see my role is do whatever I can to keep my boss from being surprised. And then her role is don't let the board get surprised. Um, is there anything right now that we need to know about to, to make sure people that I report to aren't surprised? What, what should we be watching for? I, um, I think these issues around um, equity and connectivity, and to the extent those are those are hot button issues in communities, I think I think that's a that's a that's a good one. Um, I would also say to your part of your point leading up is that um, in terms of a call to action, mm-hmm. I think oftentimes when I when I talk to CTOs um, in districts that are fortunate enough to have a CTO, which you know a cabinet level position is is, is mm-hmm. ideal um, in my opinion. Uh, is is convincing them to engage with local policymakers because I think there's often a reticence to do that without, you know, going to the superintendent or the board. And a, but I, I have found that when I've had this conversation with them, you know, when you talk to a superintendent, I, I always tell them, you want you want your local experts to be talking. You know, you want your CBOs making sure your your legislators know what really what what mm-hmm. the state budget means for your for your district in terms of funding and what's what's available. Tech is just the same thing. I mean, mm-hmm. particularly when it comes to equity and everything. So I, I often say, let, you know, if your CTO is a member of site and this organization has an agenda and, and getting in terms of helping to get resources for schools around digital equity, um, data security, cybersecurity mm-hmm. issues related to our, our protecting our students and our employees data, right? These mm-hmm. are all common missions for, for leadership. Getting those meetings with local legislators um, as, as a member of site, pushing mm-hmm. on those things. Like we have a professional network the same way, you know, principals and, and superintendents mm-hmm. are members of AXA or school board members are members of the school boards association. Well, guess what? We've got one for professional IT folks in schools. And, and, and going in that way, you happen to also be working at the local school district. And by the way, you've got these nice heat maps that show where the, the gaps are, right? Which yeah. is great information. They will eat that up and they will love that. But really what it does, that is the cornerstone of the work that we do is that, you know, all politics are local. And people have heard that a lot in this world. If if local, if legislators in Sacramento and in, I would argue in Congress aren't aware of what what the tech world looks like in their schools, in their communities, then we were, we're never going to get anywhere. So I, I would my pitch here on this podcast is to site members to get out of their comfort zone a little bit, go have those meetings pitch it to your superintendent that way and say, I need to go. I want to talk. I'm in the part of the professional network. I want to use some of our data, but really it's about advancing all of the goals that we think are, are important. So that's my soapbox speech to, to, to the folks that are listening that are members. Um, and, and that's kind of why we're here. We're here to help folks do that. Mm-hmm. Um, if folks have questions about how to engage or what to say, Nick and I can do that. And we'll engage with anybody that's a site member. So are there any resources that you guys have or that site has where we can we can uh, draw from those resources when we do go um, and try to engage the lawmakers. Yeah, we do. Um, in fact, we just, it's funny, we had our board meeting with, with site yesterday, the mm-hmm. executive board kind of came up with our uh, goals for the year. And part of it will be developing um, talking points and when, and what to say around these issues around 
um, the digital divide and data security, privacy. Um, so we'll roll those out and we'll make them available to members when they have meetings. Um, we'll also strategically reach out to <laughs> members in the districts of like legislative leadership or committee chairs to um, where we know these issues are going to come up. So we'll yeah. we, we respond to folks, but we'll also do a little bit of outreach to try. Yeah, and I, I can imagine that it's it's probably more impactful when we're all kind of playing from the same sheet of yeah, music. Exactly. They're getting the same message and it's a consistent, a consistent message. Yeah. 100 percent. Yeah. All right. So I want to thank our guests, Nick and Barrett from Capital Advisors Group. Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been an excellent conversation. And of course, we don't have all the answers, but we'll be watching them unfold in the coming days for sure and in coming months. As always, we want to give a shout out to our amazing site staff, Laurel Nava, Truda Bentitu, and Andrea Bennett for supporting this podcast. And to Nick and Barrett, we want to give you both a minute of airtime. So anything you want to um, say in terms of a shout out, gratitude, or appreciation to anybody out there. Sure, Nick, you want to go first? You want me to go sure. first? I, yeah, I will go first. Um, you know, I, I think, Jamie, you kind of just touched on one thing I was going to say, which is uh, it's been our pleasure to work with Site. I mean, I think they, they as I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, I'm a bit of a, a nerd and a nerd and an IT kind of guy myself. So I find this this has been a, a really nice way for me to kind of marry some of my own interests with, with my work, which has been great. Uh, and as you said, Jamie, you know, Laurel, Andrea, they're all fantastic. And Insight is a great resource, as we talked about in the last segment, for, for folks uh, and their members. Um, you know, and um, just it's going to be an interesting 2021. Uh, as we record this on January 15th, uh, we've got five days to inauguration. So we'll be watching for that. Uh, and and some pretty significant, what we think will be pretty significant changes in the next, uh, you know, nine to 12 months. Uh, whether it has to do with, Big tech, quote unquote, as they're called, we're going to be watching that interesting uh, debate at the congressional level, or, or as we've talked about many of the issues uh, on this show here today in California and specific to California. So just want to say thanks for having us. It's been a, a really pleasant conversation. And um, Barrett, uh, turn it over to you. Yeah, and I will, I will echo Nick's shout out to Andrea and, and Laurel and Tuda and Libby and everybody at, at the site that make, make things work. Um, so thank you. And then I would also say that sort of to, to, to the members of site that um, it is it is absolutely a pleasure um, working on these issues. We have several clients and we, Nick and I both agree. This is actually one of the things we really enjoy working on. We don't enjoy working on everything. It's a true element of any job. Um, but this these issues are, are actually fun to us um, in, in a lot of ways to, to work on. And they feel like real problems that we're working on to solve. So it's, it's a pleasure to represent um, everyone. And then just, and then the shout out, just a broader shout out to everybody that that's in a school administrator and a teacher trying to survive this pandemic. Um, I, you know, uh, I was talking about, you know, Laurel, Laurel, uh, her husband's a teacher in the local district, um, and listen to what they go through teachers every day and what administrators go through, especially with all this evolving reopening guidance and the rules and all the checklists and the things you got to do. We're all at the wit our wits end during this thing and just, you know, shout out to everybody that's doing that and surviving. So um, we're trying to do our part to be helpful and and hopefully it is. And hopefully this podcast was helpful to folks. And and thanks again, uh, Shane and Jamie and everybody for having us on. Thank you. And Absolutely. Big, big shout out to nurses. Big shout out to nurses and all our medical staff that are helping us through this personal plug. But big shout yeah. out to nurses. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> 
Well, thank you guys. Um, so to, to wrap this thing up, we got a couple of, uh, of fun questions for you. Uh, so we're going to start with this one. You know, I was thinking there's been a kind of a change in the way we've been working. So if we come back to some sense of normalcy in the offices, would you rather work four tens or five eights? Ooh, Nick, what do you think? Oh, um, you know, oh man, are we just generally or in just, our works? Just generally, <laughs> just generally. You know, I, quick story. So my, my, uh, my dad <laughs> for Chevron, right. And he did four tens and he seemed really happy. So I'll go with <laughs> four tens and I'll, I'll stick with that. All right. I, I'm for four tens myself. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm for four tens. No, yeah, no question. Definitely. Um, and talking about being locked down as, as we've all been dealing with lockdowns, would you rather be locked down at JPL in uh, Jamie's backyard or at Disneyland? Ooh. Disneyland. Yeah, Barrett, I, I stalked you and saw that you had science in your Twitter bio. So I was like, yeah. oh, I wonder which one he'll pick. But you also have a four-year-old, so tough call. <laughs> yeah, I have not been. I, so I'm, I will pick Disneyland because I have not yet taken my son to Disneyland. And he is now, he's four. He's kind of almost to that point where he mm-hmm. would enjoy it, right? And, and yeah. you know, you could, get, you could get through it in a day kind of a thing. So I, I, right now, I would say Disneyland, but that is a tough one. How about you, Nick? Yeah, I mean, both of us, uh, it's... It's a tough one because I'm, I love learning and science and NASA would be cool, but uh, I have never gotten to ride the Matterhorn, so I will go with Disneyland. It's been closed every time I've gone. <laughs> uh, now I am a NorCal boy, but, um, you know, so I've only been four or five times, but every single time it's been closed. So I'll go with Disneyland. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Jamie, you want to take that last one? Yeah. So one final one, and this relates very specifically to your work. And you actually mentioned this a little bit earlier. So to support the work that you do and to really make change, do you need more time or more money? Which one would you rather have? Can you have both? Uh, <laughs> both? Both. Um, um, I, I, honestly, well, to support the work that we do mm-hmm. as advocates, actually more time. I feel like would be um, would be more advantageous to, to to do the work that we do. I think folks mm-hmm. in districts need need both, but but funding would probably be the one they would say. But for us, it's just getting having enough time to check all the boxes and do all the things you got to do. Nick, yeah, I you know obviously as Barrett said, uh, for a lot of folks, money would be the answer, um, but. You know, just back of the enveloping it, I mean, what members of the California legislature, assembly members represent close to 400,000 people and, and, you know, senators represent, state senators represent close to a million. Uh, so you can imagine that their time is short when we go to talk to them. And so uh, on behalf of site and other schools and school agencies around the state. So definitely more time. I think, I think being able to really sit down uh, and have some conversations, which sometimes we do get the opportunity to do, but if, if there were 30 hours in a day, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if I want to sleep less or stay up longer, but I would say more time would be really helpful in a lot of the work that we do. So that would be my answer. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Uh, Thank you for sharing. Thank you for providing those insights. Um, I do want to say that I've, I've gone to your, presentations at the site conference, and I've always found them to be um, extremely uh, beneficial, informative, and illuminating. So next time you go to the, uh, the site conference, make sure you check out the, uh, the session uh, hosted by CAG. It's always, uh, you guys go by CAG or Capital Advisors Group? Either one. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a great session. Very informative. Um, I think I, I uh, 
wandered into it one year and I've gone back every year since because uh, it was such good information. So thank you guys for always providing that information. Um, and then thank you everybody for listening to this episode. This is episode number five. Uh, I want to say happy new year. It's, it's the middle of January. Um, and we've been working hard to map out the, uh, the sessions that we're going to be having through the rest of this year. So thank you guys for being here, Jamie. Yeah. Thanks to all of our listeners that have been tuning in. We've been kind of checking the stats and are really excited to see how many people are participating as listeners. So thank you for that. And for this year, we're really looking forward to bringing you some future conversations around disaster recovery, cybersecurity, more on state testing as we get news, looking at systems like CalPAD and CaseMIS, and anytime we can find more ed tech and IT intersections. So thank you so much for everyone uh, for tuning in. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having us.